So last time you were on, the title of the show was "It Can't Really Get Any Worse." Yeah, good call, Eric. Well, was that no, October? No, 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 it was June. It was June. It did get worse. It got a little bit worse. I mean, we it got a little we, better, no, and then no, it got no, a lot worse. We had a sick, no, but June twenty-two, <laughs> we had a sick rally, and then <laughs> yeah. it got a lot worse. Right. Did you see the photos of the trial of I SBF? Did you see this? It was amazing. Yeah, the the I, renderings. I like the, I like the one of Caroline. So Parik Patel <laughs> tweeted uh, the Tinder bio versus real life. I would say that <laughs> Sam and Carolyn are about equal in terms of their attractiveness. Right? They're they're both nerdy looking, not super. I have no comment on that. Attractive people. What? I can't call Sam and Carolyn not attractive people. I think you can call Sam unattractive. I don't think you're allowed to say I said that she's not attractive. I said, oh, come on. She's a, she's a, she's stunning and brave. <laughs> and I will not have you. I will no, not have you. Not in this artist. I rendering. said they are of equal attractiveness. No, in the artist rendering, she looks like Gollum. So anyway, my point is, look what they did to Sam. They made him look like f***ing Rob Lowe. Horrible. <laughs> and they made her look like a he monster. Looks, Mike won't get this reference. Hold that back up. Yeah. Doesn't he look like the animated guy in the AHA video for Take <laughs> yes. On Me? Yeah. No, he looks well, like- Can we play a little bit more muscular? Can we play that? I don't know who that know is. He looks, like fake, <laughs> he looks like fake Rob Lowe from Saved by the Bell. John, put up uh, Take On Me. We can't. I know we can't play this song. You remember Just that guy it. who worked at the- uh, What was the diner? What was the diner Saved by the Bell? The uh, It was called the- The diner, not the Peach Pit. That's 90210. That's 90210. Oh, what diner did they go to? The God dang it. That's going to drive me crazy. The- Diner saved by. It's like a, a guy's name. It's like Mel's or Ricky's. Oh, uh, the Max. The Max. Max. All right, close. So remember the 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 head of the Max that was like Kelly's boyfriend, Jeff. Oh, no, dude. He's in deep. He lost me. Anybody doing deep me. cuts? That's not <laughs> saved by the bell character. It's not a deep cut. It's a very deep cut. Well, Kelly's anyway. boyfriend, the manager of the diner from Saved by the Bell, is a deep, deep, deep cut. Next thing you know, he's going to look like Screech. <laughs> oh, is Squeech dead? Uh, no. maybe. What? That's horrible. No. Yeah. Well, Squeech did some really bad shit. I thought shows. it was no, just I a rumor. He, I know he was You remember mess. this guy? Uh, dude, oh, really? Yeah. You remember that? Of course. What do you mean, remember that? How how recently have you been watching <laughs> Saved by the Bell? <laughs> anyway, is Squeech dead? I think so. Dustin Diamond. No, I know he turned out not to be great, but I also think when you're a child star... And not just the child star, but your whole reputation is, look how weird and ugly this guy is. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, he, was, he was only 44. Like, you're not going to grow up good. He right? died during the pandemic from cancer? Yikes. All right. It's, not, it's bad. It's bad. But he, was, he died young. It's not good. Um, so oh, SBF. So here's my here, – we're not doing SBF as, uh, later. We're not going to spend any time on this or, or crypto in general. But, like, the, the end result after reading all his testimony and – the end result is like very mundane. There's nothing exciting or interesting about this. It's just another like Ivy League prick who thinks the rules don't apply to him. Like that's really what it came down. He just, he was probably like vaguely aware that they were breaking the law, but it's like, whatever, we'll figure it out. He was just like another entitled, like, oh, don't worry. Everything will be fine. I'm Sam Bankman Freed. That's how it, like, that's how his answers read to me. I don't know. Do you have a different take? from whatever you saw or read? No, I, I don't know about the Ivy League part. I don't think that Ivy League people think rules no, don't apply to like them. A, no, I, not that's a generalization, but I just felt like he had this sense of superiority, almost as if what we're doing, the rules don't even apply and don't worry. I think like, I think he lives in another orbit. That's what, So I, I think he's that disconnected where he, it's almost like, wait, what do you mean we can't do this? I'm going to do it. 
like I, I've met people that have that mentality. Unfortunately, it's, it's, many of them are very successful. It's part sociopathy. And um, there's a little bit fake until you make it, which is celebrated in, in modern culture. And then like, didn't Bloomberg TV have a show, Rule Breakers? That was like- Sounds, sounds familiar. Rule Breakers. It's like, sounds cool when we're talking about tech. Not as cool when we're talking about finance. I think the amazing thing about him, and it came out in the trial, was just how he cultivated that persona that the media went apeshit for. Yeah. They, they just loved it. And it so it wasn't, the right time. it wasn't just him showing up with the, the Afro and the cargo pants, cargo shorts and sitting on the beanbag, but he actually put the thought and care. Oh, it was all very calculated. In figuring it out. It was out. very calculated. And, and, and he was, he was right. I, I mean, wrote, do I you wrote remember one, how people, how crazy people were for him? They I just wrote thought, one blog post referencing him. I did a search. Did I ever talk about Sam? I said he was like Warren Buffett of crypto because that's what everyone else said. It's like, oh, he's like rescuing all these companies. It reminds me of Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. Like it was all extremely he was calculated. Called, he was called the JP Morgan of crypto when, he's, that, when he was buying all, all right, whatever. Um, what, what I loved, my <laughs> the favorite. Warren Buffett of crypto, of course he's in jail. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Warren Buffett of crypto should have the longest sentence. That's how you know he's the Warren Buffett, right? Yeah. Like that's how crypto, in crypto logic. So um, he's not impressive though. When they were asking him questions, the prosecutors, He's extremely unimpressive. Well, the judge is like, answer the his question. answers are shit. Yeah. Like his answers, you, he's had six months to sit and think about. He, he had to have known what the questions would be. Right. This is not that complicated. His answers were rambling, like almost um, like circular logic and uh, ta tangents. It's mm -hmm. like, dude, did you just wake up and figure out that you had a trial today? <laughs> he's, he's extremely unimpressive. No, he's been at mom and dad's house for- like, no, he's been, been in the Brooklyn Detention Center. <laughs> he's not been in, or Manhattan, wherever he is. He's he's in New York in jail. Right. He had the deal where he gets to with stay no in internet. his mom's house. With no internet. Yeah, he, start, he started sending confidential uh, stuff to reporters. Right. And about witnesses. Right. Another schmuck move. Yeah. What do you think they're going to, I don't know legal, like how these things work. I think they're going to sentence him to 10 and they'll do seven. I, I have no idea. I mean, he's, he, like he, he will... Pay, he'll be the face. He'll be the Martha Stewart. He's going to pay crypto, bad He's, bad actors. Yeah, and you know he'll 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 be the poster child. I feel like prison is right for disruption. There's got to be like prison <laughs> on the blockchain or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's going to get out. Shkreli's out. Shkreli's doing content. Yeah, like he's. You think like Sam? Not the, not the same crime. He 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 was a com. He's he's been a, like a big commentator in demand on SBS. Oh, he's killing it right now. <laughs> um, Mar Martin is so hot right now. So Sam will get out, and Sam will raise a fund. <laughs> no, he won't. What do you mean? Of course he will. No, he won't. Why wouldn't he? Who are those other crypto guys? He won't that, launch like, an. Ex he won't launch an exchange. He'll he'll raise like the a venture. Three, 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 three hours guys three were hours. out raising yeah. trying to raise money. Yeah, did I don't they? think they did or not. I don't did know if they, they did or not. Yeah. Uh, tell me where interest rates are. I'll tell you if SBF can raise a fund. <laughs> how about that? How about that? Are we good, John? How about that? So why are stocks up so much today? The WeWork guy raised the uh, money. I mean, it, it, it'll be... He's not the pariah that SBF was. Nobody's a pariah is my point. Michael Milken runs a conference that like the, 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 the Prince of Siam comes and speaks at. There's no such thing as a pariah. All that matters is are you famous or are you not famous? Nobody cares what you're famous for anymore. If it was five years ago, it's irrelevant. Are you famous? Do I, have I heard your name before? I have? Great. Let's take a meeting. 
Jordan Belfort was raising money two years ago. (laughs) Literally, there's a a movie that grossed $500 million about how many people he stole from. He was literally raising money two years ago. So tell me where interest rates are. I'll tell you if SBF can raise a fund or not. And the results will surprise everybody because he will. No problem. No questions asked. No questions asked. Rest in peace. We work, right? It's yeah. officially gone. gone we were, went bankrupt this this week. Gone, you should raise no another fund. You should do it. In. What show is this? Oh, shit. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Red Holtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by U.S. Benchmark Series. Duncan, did you know that the three-month bill, that's not a note or a bond, it's a bill, is yielding 5.57%? Nope. Remember last year on an episode, many episodes, I'm embarrassed to say, I was like, the 10 year can't go above 3%. I don't think this, I don't think I said it can't, but I probably said it won't. Well, that was wrong. Now here we are. You don't have to go out 10 years to get yield. You can do it in three month bills. Now, of course, listeners, our listeners know, but just in case you don't, when when yields are quoted, it's annualized. So you're not actually getting 5.5% over a three-month period, because that would be like, you know, 22% yield, right? Just so you know, you know. But with U.S. Benchmark Series ETFs, you can buy individual parts of the curve. So if you want to target specific parts of the curve, whether it's uh, for a, a liability that you have, or because you're bullish on one part of the curve, you can do that really, really easily. To learn more about U.S. Benchmark Series, hit that link in the show notes. It's ustreasuryetf.com. Episode 115, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Compound and Friends. What is it? 116? All right, start over. <laughs> Let Eric come back into the room. Episode 116, Compound and Friends. We have a returning champion in the house today. I'm so happy that you're here. Did you miss us? I did. All right, it's you. Been, uh, you were but every, every time I come here, it's it's like it feels like you, it, the market's slitting its wrist. Uh, you were you were last here in a dark in a dark time. <laughs> yeah, it was no, really this dark. isn't that. It got, and it got worse. It got uh, better and that got worse. Get, well, welcome to this, <laughs> this is the business we have chosen. All right. Uh, Eric is the founder, president, portfolio manager of EMJ Capital, a Toronto-based hedge fund focused on long-short analysis of innovation-driven tech companies. Eric Jackson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, we had a lot of fun last time. We talked about a bunch of your stocks. and We're going to do that again this week. Um, what are we starting with, though? I just want to start real quick with the market rally before we get into all of Eric's stuff. Yeah. Um, we don't have what are your thoughts this week, next week. Do we have what are your thoughts? Is that technically no. what are your thoughts? Okay. We'll be so, in Charlotte. So just uh, to piggyback on the most recent what are your thoughts, we were talking about, Josh and I were talking about like what could be a catalyst for the fourth quarter. And we were saying, not that we were predicting what happened in the last two days, but like, did we already have the washout, right? Breath was pretty bad, but, and people have recency bias. They tend to think that, bad breath means that it will forever be bad breath, that it can't turn on a dime, mm-hmm. which it has over the last two days. So we have, uh, I have a chart showing the percentage of S&P 500 stock declining for three consecutive days. 
And that just hit pretty much washout territory. So 65% of the S&P 500 stocks fell for three straight days. And that has coincided with, with bottoms recently. Another stat showing that we were at the washout, just 39%, I'm sorry, 10% of stocks were above their 50-day moving average. Also, pretty much washout periods. And then you have that coinciding with the Fed conference yesterday. Pretty much everyone thinks at this point that the hiking cycle is over. You have rates pulled back and you get, that's all kindling for a furious stock market rally. The, the S&P is up 2.9% over the last two sessions, which would be the strongest two-day gain since, I tell you since January. Can I tell you something else we were right about? Since January. Can I tell you something else we were right about, though? Um, did we talked about this last week. The worst time to be selling stocks that are down on the year is October. Yeah. That was Literally, October 31st was Tuesday. Another shitty day in the market, I think. To be clear, I'm not saying that we were right on Tuesday, although we- No, no. Wednesday, Thursday, November 1st and 2nd, the market ripped, and look what the best stocks are. Russell 2000 beating the S&P, and every shitty tech stock I ever heard of is up 9%. But here's, here's what we were right on. The so, fact, seriously. Roku's the fact 30% today. Because that, that, yeah. and sell, Shopify, that, Shopify, that Shopify, selling 20, pressure 20%. finally yes. comes off. But so, my, my point was that sentiment and breadth can change on a dime. Yes. And it did. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I say one thing about that? Please. To the untrained person <laughs> that's citing internals, and they're like, oh, 65% of, of the S&P is, is in a bear market. Yeah, idiot, idiot. When do you think that reverses from? Exactly when it's that bad. Like, that's that's not a negative stat that you're citing to me. That doesn't necessarily mean it gets worse. It doesn't have to go to 85. Like, that is what washouts look like. Yeah, I mean, and, you, and must, th- you must this, agree. This is, and this this year, people think of it's, yeah, it's a great year, market's up and all, especially NASDAQ. Oh, I was torture chamber this Mag, year. Mag 7 is, yeah, yeah. is like masked, you know, what a disaster it's a year it's been for most of these Rokus and uh, sm- smaller tech companies. Yes. For sure. And yes. so I think that's another thing that this potential rally has going for it now. So the 10-year was touching 5% and getting rejected um, two weeks ago and had a pretty Pretty big drop for the last two days. It's now at four six seven, so doesn't take much to get the stock market rallying. No, and I think it's a combination of things. I think it's the pullback in that ten year. I think it's the the fact that uh, the sentiment has been so poor. I mean, think think about remember all those IPOs that we got in September, Arm and Instacart, yeah, they all failed. Clavio, and they're they're way down below. Yeah, way, yeah. You know, I think Instacart came out with like touched forty bucks. Arkansas trading close okay. to twenty bucks. Did uh, you like any? Ago. Did you like any of those prior to them coming out? Were you like seriously kicking the tires on any of them or not? Uh, really? Clavio, I like the most. What's the uh, symbol for Clavio? Uh, okay. All right. So here, here's K-O-Y-B. here's Birkenstock. Birkenstock. Yeah. I mean, really rough out of the gate. Right. Right. But yeah. it's it's come back pretty nicely. Yeah. How's Arm doing? It's it's. I mean, it's down below. It, it, that I I never liked those IPOs in September, including Arm, because I mean. SoftBank sold just a sliver of the equity, Expense, just to kind of and, and expensive too. Just to t- you know test the waters. Let's let's get a let's get let's try to stoke some some uh, interest yeah. in this, and maybe we'll sell a big chunk later if the thing goes does well and goes up. Instacart, I think, needed the money. I, I think that's what where, what they why they IPO'd, and it's not a normal, you know. Think about like 2021, like, okay, put aside this, all, this, all the DSPAC IPOs and all that stuff. But there was like a venture-backed, you know, tech IPO every week, every week, or multiple. And there's been nothing. Big ones too, Snowflake, yeah. like really big names. Right. And, um, and, and, and Unity Software. Crickets. There were yeah. some really big ones. Huge. Uh, I think, 
so Clavio was like the um, they do the tech they handle the text messaging function for like Fortune 500 companies. There's Clavio since the IPO. Not great, but not not probably a great. It's mean, probably a great business. I don't know if it's a great stock. It's. I mean, I think the thing that stood out to me is just like there's just been like we don't want risk. We don't want IPOs. Like some occasionally you'll hear about like Kava IPO'd and people on TV will sort of try to talk about that as if it's like a tech company and like, okay, the IPO market's back and we're going to see these names. There's just been crickets. I don't think that we're going to have a really normalized tech market until Stripe IPOs. What do you mean normalized? Like, a, you know, I think we're still in, I know, I know you guys were talking with Tom Lee a couple of weeks ago and did I did I hear this right? Tom said like we're going in the second year of a bull market or in something. In this like house, that. Tom Lee is a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I love Tom. Yeah. And you know, and I hope he's right. And he's um He said we're going into the second year of a bull market uh starting October, which was the twelve month anniversary of the low. Right. So I mean I, it's, but to say that in October we're in year two, it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, maybe it's a little bit of a I think a I think X Mag seven though, like it, I think, you know, this has been a we're sort of coming up on for tech. We're coming up on. It's basically been two and a half years of a bear market. I would say. Yeah. T- so tech Most, peak. So tech, tech. Tech peaked in Feb twenty twenty one. Shit. Tech peaked in Feb twenty one. <laughs> well, there's difference. There's shit. Tech. And then yeah. and then Fang Tech peaked in November in November twenty one. But you're right. It's it's a really long stretch. Without new highs for and, most stocks, and that perfectly coincides with when we bottomed uh, after the dot com. It took two and a half years. Is that right? Like grinding, grinding. So bottom down. Uh, 03 or late oh two. Uh, so it would have been uh, in oh two, uh, but two and a half years. So it peaked in March uh, twenty twenty, and oh, uh, right. and peak. You know, and it took, of, another, it took another year after nine eleven. But Microsoft and Apple bottom. made new all time highs over the summer. Yeah. No. Google didn't. Uh, Amazon has been in a bear market for three years. Yeah. But you say like, what, what's a normalized uh, tech market? Like in terms of the, like a normal kind of, you know, risk appetite on uh, market should be able to Support digest, an IPO a week, you know, for new example. venture backed yeah, yeah. IPOs every week. There's every not a lot week. of appetite for that sort of risk so, with cash yielding 5 so, but I, I But eyeball yeah. test today, like look at your portfolio, look at your individual stocks today. All the tech stocks are like- I'm in like CrowdStrike and uh, what else, like AMD, Nvidia. These stocks are these stocks are acting like it's that 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 week right after Thanksgiving where they really go. You know what I mean? Like when tech stocks really go bananas. Well, you know yeah. what's going They're bananas doing that now. Today? It's yeah. this, it's an interest rate sensitive stuff. So REITs like Simon Property is up three percent. SL Green in New York City is up thirteen percent. Mm. Uh, utilities are up over two percent. The stuff that is tied directly to interest rates are rallying pretty hard. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you can, it makes sense given Pe- Powell's comments this week, right? Like he basically said no mas, you know, in, you know, to, to, you know, more interest rate hikes. And so if you think like Feb 2021 oh, was sort of- Oh, you know, it's funny. Like I don't, I don't break anyone's chops about this like live on the air, but uh, I was, I was on CNBC yesterday after the presser and uh, people are like, you know, we have commenters coming in. They're like, well, he left the door open for, <laughs> the door's always open. It's his job. What are you talking about? Like, like that's like, that's like saying, oh, the dentist left the door open for maybe doing a root canal on you. <laughs> yeah. The door's open. Right. That's what, that's what they do. Right. So forget about the door being open. There was no change in the statement from the last time. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence from the last time to this time that they need to do more. Mm-hmm. They have things moving in the right direction. So yeah. if they're really data dependent, I think we could be done. 
And I think I think the comment that really got people excited was uh, was basically like now there's like an equal risk on both sides to hiking more. Yeah, the versus- equal. So right, the the risk is two sided, is what yeah. he said. Yeah, that that got that got a lot of play too. Meaning like we could go too far. We yeah. are now acknowledging that it's possible we could yeah. go yeah. too far. And we don't want to do that. And the market really likes to hear that. I yeah. saw a data point today about gas prices are down like 35 straight days mm-hmm. and under $3 in certain areas of the country. Yeah. That's got to help consumer sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, a certain consumer that's getting buried by gas prices for sure. So well, uh, wh- what are we doing next? Um, also, one, one other thing about interest rate sensitive stocks, home builders are up 6% of the last two sessions. Now, they had pulled back quite a bit, but they're rallying hard. Do we have Apple after the bell? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, right. that's coming right. at your, yeah. You're going to give us a live reaction? Right. that'll I'm be... Told. Well, no, but it's not, on, it's not until 4.30, so we might miss that. Uh, let's talk about... We're uh, going to turn that camera directly <laughs> onto you for, for the live... Uh, Everything's, everything hinges on Apple. Okay. Remember when they used to live blog earnings yes. calls? Like, yes, I, they I, still do. Wall Street Journal does Do it. they do that? Yeah, well, <laughs> they run a live blog used to go for, on. used to go on Business Insider, you know, and like... Yes. <laughs> See what Joe Weisenthal So Right. Joe Weisenthal <laughs> used to sit there like finger on the trigger. He had to be first. He used to do that for um, non-farm payrolls. Right. But he was great. He was great. Yeah. And there was a time where that was that was relevant. Uh, what is this chart? Oh, that this is a chart of uh, the 10-year Treasury yield Put it yesterday up. with all the news. So you're right. You were right, Josh. The Treasury funding announcement. I saw Axios had a post on that. Everybody had a post Ask on Eric it. Ask Eric if he's heard about this. What, oh, do you have an opinion on the composition of uh, how many, how many, tr- how many of which maturity treasury bonds the, uh, they they sold this month? Have you heard about this this nonsense? Eric shaking some no. now. Me too. No. Like, well, I, just, I just I just heard about Druck and Miller going Me- after Yellen. For, oh, again, like, not, not issuing uh, you know more long term. Uh, so he probably has a debt. point there. Like every company in the world pushed out their maturities. What the hell are we doing right. at, at the government level? Right. If we know we have these liabilities, no. Well, we should have done it two years ago. Well, that's right. my point. Yeah. yeah. So, what, so what are we looking at here? So this anyway, the, yield? the Treasury funding announcement. I don't know what they announced, but whatever. <laughs> they announced something. <laughs> Rates fell pr- pretty decently. <laughs> they announced uh, six yes, more weeks of, of winter. They said. We got Jolt's data, <laughs> the announcement, Powell's briefing starts, it ends, and uh, it's a 15 basis point drop. I think it was 20, actually, on the day. It's four, six, seven today. Which was big drop. Big, yeah. big drop. We were, we were saying five, it's going to five and a half last oh, week. So I was thinking about this, just in terms of how quickly everything reacts to everything else, um, how quickly these stocks are re-rated based on where interest rates are coming and going to. And yet we've been talking about the economy taking a long time for interest rates to, to really filter its way through. And I get that, but it's been like 18 months. Like, is there really going to be like an interest rate shock, like a credit crunch? Historically, that- it happens in the 19th month. That <laughs> they say now. I'm not saying that the market is always right and it doesn't miss things, but like, I'm sorry. I feel like that risk of interest rates tightening the economy, like it's that's not the risk right now. It's something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not that. You know, Rick Santelli had his like moment uh, a month ago when he was on Fast Money. He was talking about you know tenure going to double digits. You know, and and so Top. you know that that wait you know, that, like that's ten, that, that's ten that's percent. Thirteen, I think, is what he said. So obviously, like you know, we haven't priced something like that in. No. And so you know, th- there's a room. You know, I, that would shock me if if we if we get there, especially quickly. But um, if rates if rates go to eight yeah. percent, yeah, sure, all bets are off. Right. Everything I just said. Sure. My point is, current interest rates. We've already digested that. We've mm-hmm. already proven that the economy. Can You're saying enough it. time has gone by. It's over. 
I don't know. I'm not with you. I'm not with you. I, I want to be with you, and I understand your point. I'm not with you. I'm like I'm like 65%. Like I'm not like pounding the table that it's over, but like a lot of things, a lot of things in finance do appear on the surface to react quickly. And then a lot of things happen really slowly and don't become apparent until the least convenient moment for them to come. I just feel like what you're saying is I can't disprove that. And it could be true. I know. I I can't prove it. But what you're saying is always true. Like the just wait, we haven't seen it yet. Well, things like things take longer than you think. And then they happen more suddenly than you think they're going to happen. Both things can be true, even though they sound paradoxical. Well, is that a Hemingway quote? They asked him, like, how'd you go bankrupt? Gradually, he said, and suddenly. He said yeah. yeah, slowly, and then suddenly. I, so. I yeah, I think like that that chart you had up though, like there's like we we overanalyze all the time in financials, and we're trying to like put the points on, like well at <laughs> at three fifty nine, you know yeah, whatever yeah. treasury funding announcement, and, like yeah, point and there, and point, no- point to us where you were bullish and where you were bearish, <laughs> right. if you will, sir. And and so and, and at the end of the day, like this could have just been a pullback from 5% because of anticipation of the Powell briefing starting. And it doesn't have anything to do with these funding announcements. I would have said 24 months ago, if you told me what inflation would be and where interest rates would be, I would say the market's in a 40% drawdown. We're, yeah. in, a, we're in a recession. Yeah. I think most people would have thought that and it didn't come to pass. The Na- I, NASDAQ's only 20% below its highs. I think 18% or something like that. Uh, now, Russell is like 30% below it's high, but you, I, I would have <laughs> said the same thing. Like if I, I knew would have said Russell gonna... and Nasdaq are worse than S and P. That part I would have gotten right. And we're going to talk about a lot of the stocks that you play around. with. Oh, so so let's 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 jump into this. All so right. uh, Barron's did its big money poll this week, and we could just kind of breeze through this. But um, I find this to be interesting just because it re- gives you like a real sense of where consensus is on the big themes that everyone's debating. So. Two-thirds of the respondents think value investing will outperform growth investing in the next 12 months. About 60 percent of respondents say small or mid-cap stocks will outperform large-cap stocks. So, Eric, is that wishful thinking because so many of the people responding to that poll will look good if small, mid, value do better than like the biggest growth stocks? Like, is, is part of this, like, here's what I want to happen, therefore, this right. is what I think will happen? Right. What yeah. do you think? Are you, are you asking me, do people talk their books? But I would say yes. <laughs> well, do, pe- do people confuse a question like what will happen with what they want wh- to happen. What would be great for yeah. you if it happened? I think 100%. people all the time. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. And, and, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I used to, used to do these blog posts on the Forbes, you know. I remember. Shitty outside blogger I network. Was re- I was retweeting <laughs> them. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, one oh, the of For- the Forbes scam network. <laughs> I had one of those blogs. Did you? That, who didn't? And uh, the, the so every at the end of the year, you know, everyone loves to write, you know, what's going to happen in next year? And yeah. let's, make, let's make the predictions. And so I thought, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to like call up like some of my best contacts from the finance world, the tech world, and I'm going to ask them for their best predictions for the coming year. And I'm going to aggregate them, put it in this huge post. So, he's going to do. So, you called Eddie Elfenbein, and then what? <laughs> and, then, and then what happened? And I, I, I would be like, okay, where's the SP going to end the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was in this. What's, what's the thing that's, you know, going to, you know, what's the biggest, the risk biggest that tech, no one's talking tech trend, about? Like the AI of yeah, the next yeah. year or something like that. And so, everyone would dutifully come back with their predictions. And I did it for like three or four years. And then I stopped doing it because I, I started to realize that 80%, and I, you know, me included in this, in this group, 80% of the time, like, 
the predictions were just recency bias. It yes. was basically just whatever happened in the last three months of the year, of it. it's going to continue on for the next 12 months. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and occasionally you'd have like some weird, weird kind of out there prediction, but not usually. And so 80% of the predict predictions were wrong. And I think that's what's happening here in these big money predictions. Like everyone, you know, it, we, we aggregate them, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be value now. It was growth, but now growth is out of favor because it's been two and a half years of a, you know, bear market. And I mean, the same thing happened coming into this year. I don't, nobody saw like tech getting off the canvas kind of coming into 2020. Well, somebody, somebody probably did, but that's not, that wasn't the consensus. No, definitely, definitely not. not. No. Um, here, here's S and P five, a uh, majority of big money investors predict bonds will provide a higher return than stocks in the coming 12 months. So that's not an extension of what happened this year, but, um, you know how often bonds outperform stocks over a 12 month period? Like almost never. No, bad, one, really bear mar bad bear no, market. No, one out of three years. Really? Yeah. So that's not a very bold call. Okay. Uh, while bonds have become cheaper this year, stocks remain relatively expensive. The S&P trades for 17 times 2024 consensus how estimate. How is, that, how is that expensive? It's not expensive compared to two years ago. Uh, I wonder what it is like X mag 7 too. Like, you know, I, I assume if you it's, back out lower. the she, It's lower, but yeah. it's not that low. Yeah. John, throw this chart up. How often the S&P beats five-year treasuries? Over different time periods. Oh yeah, I make make this summary. So over over uh, twelve months, just rolling twelve months, going back to nineteen twenty six, it's sixty seven percent of the time stocks beat bonds. So oh yeah, I probably would have guessed that. So that's one in three 12 month periods where bonds outperform stocks. Okay, so not calendar years, but rolling now I should I should I should have had I didn't have time, but I will adjust this. I, I do wonder like starting level of interest rates. To, I would imagine matter, right? Right. Bonds are more likely to outperform stocks when interest rates are 5% versus 2%. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Nearly two-thirds of big money respondents expect the 10-year treasury note to yield at least 4.5% a year from now versus a recent 4.8%. The yield still might rise a bit more before trending lower. Uh, that's a good guess. Uh, while noting that it is at or close to levels at which locking in yields for the longer term makes sense. Okay, that's consensus, but also I agree with it. Like That, sound, that sounds fair. Right. Uh, what else? What else is interesting in here? All this was very bland. Ninety-five percent expect to reap a higher return from stocks than bonds in the reap? next five years. Yeah, <laughs> reap. Well, chart back on. Chart back on. So ninety-five percent. Josh, say that stat one more time. Ninety-five percent of the money managers surveyed expect to make more money from stocks than bonds in the next five years. What's the What's the historical probability? Okay, so twenty-five percent of the time that's happened. So 75% of the time, stocks have outperformed five-year treasury notes over a- oh, No, they're saying stocks will do better. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, so My bad. I misheard. 40% of managers prefer U.S. treasuries to other fixed income. Uh, yields are at 16-year highs. Another 24% like U.S. investment-grade bonds. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, oh, duration risk. An average of 61% of the fixed income exposure- of the big money poll people is in short-term securities maturing in less than three years. Only 8% is in bonds maturing in more than 10 years. So that's going to change this what, year. What, what's your take on this? I was saying to Josh this morning, I think that the trillion dollars that went into money market funds where it took way too long, right? People still weren't moving when, when cash went to 2% and 3% and then slowly at 4%, a little bit more. And then at 5%, there was like, a, you know, the, a gush of, of money, like saying, holy shit, I got to get some, some yield on this. 
I think that made sense and still makes sense, right? Like you're getting money, you're getting yield on cash. It's great. But how often does successful investing reward like what's comfortable? So I think that a lot of the money that found its way in cash, there will be inertia. There was inertia getting in there. There will be inertia getting out. And I think that the people that are rushing to cash will be poorly served over the next couple of years because they're just going to forget about it. So when rates, if and when rates go back down, I think they're just going to be stuck there. I, I think people... Uh it's been such a rapid rise in rates that it's it's uh, it's taken some time for people to adjust to that. And I think there's un unquestionably some who are taking advantage of it. But I think how many times have you heard this narrative of like, oh, well, now I'm getting such a, you know, 5% guaranteed return from bonds. Like, why do I really want to take, you know, are people, people are going to sort of pass on equities. I just don't think, I mean, I think after this initial adjustment period, uh, you know, back in the dot-com era, you know, interest rates were sort of comparable to where they are now. The fact is that if someone thinks like, I can get 30% on Roku in one day, you know, like they're, and, and it's, is it sustainable? Is there, like, is there a rally with legs here? Then, you know, nobody's going to- They'll chase, you know. they'll chase. And by the way, no, that's, but, but, that's, that's going to finish this year up 30%. So for everyone in January that was like, I can get 3% on cash- Congratulations. Right. How about 10X? Right. But do we agree that the trillion dollars that went into money market funds, that's not going to come out very quickly. That's no, it, I agree with you. It'll be mm -hmm. slow. It'll chase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They'll buy the NASDAQ at, uh, they'll buy the NASDAQ 20% higher. Right. It, but it, it, it will. Uh, last thing that we're going to do out of this, because this, this segues nicely into Eric's portfolio. Tech is both the second most loved and the second most hated sector. John, throw this, uh, the blue bars up. So which equity sector do you currently like most and which do you like least? Tech is number two for both. Right. Why is it so polarizing? Why is tech, only tech would ever be in this position? I, don't you agree? Yeah, it's, it's the- it, By the yeah. way, oh, I'm sorry for the listener. They like energy the best and they dislike real estate the most. Yeah. Which I, I understand. People, people can't quit tech. Like they they can't they say that they're going to they say you know yeah, the yeah. big money managers say they want value to outperform and all this kind of stuff yeah. but but at the end of the day you know it's embedded into all of our lives it's increasingly like part of you know you know the the total market cap of all the stock market is increasingly going to to tech um I saw, that was another Tom Lee comment that I thought tech was interesting tech touches every every other sector too in a way that some of these sectors don't touch each other yeah like you yeah. can't really say that healthcare has anything to do with energy. Right. You could say tech has something to do with both. Well, because every everyone's using it. Right. Everyone's using the cloud. I, I wonder if you were to buy the least liked sector whenever this poll is published and held it for six months. What do you think was the least liked last year? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, the least, probably well, real estate. We, we could do this next week. I'm, I'm going to guess real estate. Last year, this time last year, uh, October last year, I bet it was tech. Oh. Uh, well, communication services. You're probably right, right. Facebook. No, you Facebook think was in a seventy percent drawdown, and uh, and Amazon was off fifty percent. Amazon's not I know, communications. I, know. I, my bet would be to be consumer discretionary tech or communications last October. We'll find out. How do we find this, Paul? Uh, Can somebody find this for us? Rob, Rob will do it. He's got a phone. Thank you. All right, uh, Eric, you're a big AI guy. I'm assuming now, machine learning guy. I am. I've spent a ton of time over the last couple of years, and we I, we didn't talk about this last time I was on. All right, was teach us teach us some shit. What's in the infancy? So you think that this is going to disrupt? The, I think it'll disrupt the world in various ways, but right. specifically the financial industry. What should we be looking for? Well, I just I think it. I, you, you can't turn on CNBC without some you know somebody talking about AI. Sorry, but it's usually just <laughs> it's usually just like 
It's usually you know, made. like what's the next stock? I, you know, I, I don't just want to own Nvidia. What other stock AI stock Arista, can I? What, what, Arista Networks. You know. <laughs> so, but you don't hear folks coming on CNBC and saying, "Here's how AI is going to put me out of a job." You know, no. in five years or ten years or everyone something. Everyone like else. Not <laughs> every every other industry is going to be yeah. revolutionized and it's going to lead to massive job cuts, except the financial industry. Obviously, I disagree. Okay. Um, I, I think we all would agree at this table. Who's most at who is most at risk of AI displacing what they do in the financial industry? I feel like it's people you never hear about. Analysts? No, I feel like it's like DTC. It's like it's like trade settlement and like operations type jobs first. Anything admin, you know, anything I mean. kind of low, you know, that's that's easiest to to, to kind of um, replace with a robot. Obviously, is is kind of it's not client facing jobs and it's not creatives. It's it's stuff that's like repetitive, right. and formulaic. But but don't yeah. I, I agree with Josh? But don't you think that analysts are going to be able to do more with less? Like, don't you think that a PM, if they used to have need three analysts, they might need two or, or one? Yeah, and so inevitably there will be f- there w- there will be fewer analysts. Therefore, uh, yes. I think you know because uh, the the remaining analysts will be more efficient. A you lot know, of this is though attrition. It's not that they fire twenty percent of the analysts. It's that they don't hire the next crop right. to the same extent that they hired the last generation. Right. So it it's glacial in reality. This right. is not like, oh, we have AI? All right, get the f*** out. Go right. pack your shit. We don't right. need you anymore. That's that's rarely how these things go. Right. It's a lack of hiring for these positions because they could be done more efficiently. Well, I, and I I um, heard an amazing stat. You're like, you've probably heard of Microsoft Copilot. Yeah. You know, it's getting, to, you know, huge play these so on, days. So on GitHub, coders are... Right. Coders are like freaking out over this, right? Because they basically have the helping hand of AI writing code. Yeah, and now they Microsoft likes it so much they're like trying to extend Copilot. They are extending Copilot to things like you know Windows and Teams meetings. So it's gonna it like does an audio transcript of your team meeting and like you know sends it to you. Or if they mentioned your name at the meeting and you weren't part of the meeting, you get a little alert and all this kind of stuff. But the software coding piece is, is amazing. And and uh, I heard Jeffries predict that by 2025, Copilot was going to account for like $19 billion of Microsoft. Re- That's 10% of Microsoft's revenue. 10%. How are they selling? Are they selling that it, as a monthly subscription or yeah. a usage-based? Yes. Or, okay. Yeah. Are and, you using it? And so, yeah. And, and so, like, basically what I've been working on the last couple of years is like you know, hiring software folks building AI algorithms to try to find relationships between like what drives stocks up, what drives stocks down, how does it vary by market cycles and all this kind of stuff. There's so much. And so there's a lot of computer jockeys. You can't use chat GPT for that because they won't pull in recent stock market data. You know, it's interesting. They, they do use chat GPT actually for for specific programming language. No, just not stock returns. No, you can't. You, you can't go to ChatGPT today and say, like, what stock should I buy you know, for the rest of the year? Like no, you Q4? can't. No, no, no. So, so my, the point I was trying to make is they're specifically throttling economic data mm-hmm. and stock market information. Mm-hmm. I think the 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 latest data they're porting in is like September twenty one. Yeah, because they don't want anyone to accuse them of Driving spitting the out markets. investment advice. Right. No, they don't. Like yeah. they don't. They don't want the liability right. of somebody building something that they could trade on. Do you right. think there will be any sustainable alpha here? Absolutely. 100%. There will be a chat GPT moment 
which was, you know, basically last November was when ChatGPT kind of became, you know, common knowledge for like, the 14 like year olds. It's only a year. Yeah, so, so, and, and so, but, but how, before that happened in November, how often did you hear folks talking about big data, you know, AI, neural nets, and then, you know. Very, very generally. Generally. And yeah. you, so there wasn't anything you could point to. Yeah. And it was years that that went on. And to the point where, you know, I'd be like, whatever happened to big data? I remember thinking before ChatGPT. Everyone used to talk about big data. Did, it, did that basically, was that a bust? And then all of a sudden you had this moment. So I think there's something similar is coming in the finance world with investments in AI and ML. So obviously that's where I'm putting, you know, my money where let my Let me ask you is. this. I don't know when this started, maybe, maybe 10 years ago when there was like uh, solar, not solar, uh, satellite data. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. where people were counting foot traffic going into Walmart. Counting and cars and parking lots. Cars and parking lots. Yeah. And you tell me, didn't that get arbitraged out? Not arbitraged out. Any sort of alpha there got competed out more or less immediately? Didn't everybody have that very Dude, quickly? Rob, we should, we should, we could have Rob as a guest on the show. That was Rob, two, that's what Rob was doing. Well, t two years ago, I went to a conference with like two blocks north of here on Sixth Avenue, and it was just just data vendors. And there was there was a someone with selling satellite, and you'd go from like table to ba table. Battle of the Quants. <laughs> and like the, somebody had like I got pictures of the satellite images of this Tesla right. Fremont plant, and the cars rolling off the assembly Wait, line, so that, you could count the number data, of cars. Or is that a, a guy with Polaroids? <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, my point is, can't that same alpha that, I mean, that's not structural alpha. That's alpha that people find, then it gets competed away. Can't yeah. the same thing happen, whether it's you competing against Citadel Millennium? Like, isn't everyone going to be doing this? Yes. And, and like, so, uh, and that started to happen. You have, like, people, you know, it's like Yip It and, the, like, these firms that basically, they track, um, you know, e email uh, to see, they others who track, like, um, uh, you know, how much money people are spending on eBay or Amazon intraquarter to try to, and then they publish reports to say, hey, Amazon's going to beat its quarter because it's, you know, it's That's tracking not, ahead and all this AI. This is down. just This is just alternative data. Well, to be successful in AI, you need to feed it with data. And so okay. where I will agree with Michael is that there's a, a lot of data out there that you know, gets immediately disseminated in the marketplace and therefore the, the value is gone. There's other data that just, you know, you could blow your brains out spending money on data vendors. And the only people who are going to make money alpha from it are Bloomberg. the data vendors, right? And so, I, you know- You have to I, think of something I'll, that other people aren't buying. Yeah, yeah. but there, but what AI and ML make possible is kind of like, it's it's basically like a bunch, you know, it's highfalutin nonlinear regression, which basically means you're searching for needles in the haystacks much more effectively than you ever used to be able to do before. So you might find that the Tesla satellite imagery data when it's paired with, you know, some other kind of wonky data, you know, actually does lead to an alpha, you know, uh, signal that only you have done the work to kind of put those two things together and build an algorithm yourself, tell, tell and us, then you can take advantage of tell it. Tell us how you're using AI in your fund right now. So we did, we've done, you no, know, like give us the equation. <laughs> I'm kidding. So no, tell us what you're doing. So we've looked at a bunch of areas like operational data, just the, all the technical moving average, stochastic indicator, oscillators, and all this kind of stuff, all this, those uh, those kinds of information. We've looked at app downloads, app store downloads. We've looked at Google Trends. We've like looked, you're looking for signals. Yes. So and, you're combining and, fundamentals with technicals? Yeah. And, you know, put them all together, put them in a big, you know, jug, 
shake it up and kind of see what seems to influence what. And, you know, there have been a number of kind of, you know, interesting findings, like uh, some of those, you know, the, the standard technical indicators that we would think are like gospel, like, oh, well, when you, you break down below the 50-day moving average or the 200-day moving average, actually turns out means nothing, you know, uh, in general. But across the AI component of this is that you're feeding it into software, which is doing the work that a human analyst would have done in Excel. Well, I'm trying to figure out like it, how it would this be is hard. For, it would be hard for a human to even do some of these analyses. Okay. You know, kind of you're, because you're trying to track all these different variables for all the stocks. You know, in in the you know, I so focus AI on, is accelerating. Yeah, but okay. is it is it running the money or is it giving you suggestions? No, it never never runs no. the money. It gives suggestions. It's a suggestion, and then the the human overlay over it because. You know, we're on version one right now in terms of, you know, and it's taken us kind of two years to get here. Um, and I, you know, I'm i sure when we get to version 10, a few years from now, we'll look back on version one and yeah. like, oh, wasn't it so quaint but that we, we, so we only, you know, focused on these variables? Because by that time, we'll have like half a dozen. It's not going to auto trade for you. Just in the same way that if you had to write a letter, like if Robin's like, Michael, I need your help. Write a letter to the PTA. This is what I, or whatever. You wouldn't take exactly what uh, GPT spits out. You would take it, pull it into an editable doc, and you would- Yeah, but there's a ton of money that's being run that way, just algorithmically. So you, you, and not just you, but a lot of people are on ver version one of whatever this is. Right. Renaissance is on version like 20. They've been doing this forever. Yeah, no, I, I, you guys had uh, Greg Zuckerman yeah. on here, like a few, I think a few years ago, and he wrote about uh, Renaissance and Jim yeah. Simons and stuff and did that book. And, you know, one of the most interesting things about that book is he sort of talks about the early days of Renaissance. And one of, they would send people down to Washington, D.C. to go sit in the basement of the, like, the Federal Reserve Library, and they'd pull out these, like, wonky, you know, data yeah. sources that nobody else was paying attention to. And then that goes to your point about, uh, you know, dissemination of the of this but they figured out that certain variables mattered most and they and then you know obviously for them they have a very kind of short term time frame that's that's another thing that's sort of fascinating about this is that you know you say what is your ai model proof you know you can focus on so there's so many aspects of the market like you could focus on like are you focused on you know hype hype hyper, you know, minute to minute trading you want to be in and but out what are you, within but a few you minutes specifically you wanna, you're you're using it as a screener to uncover opportunities in sp individual stocks. Yeah, we so remember I said like the 200 day, the 15 day, 50 yeah. day, we found it didn't work for the 300 for the universe of like 300 tech stocks around the world. That you know, there it's was no signal for there was no one stocks. silver, silver yeah, bullet yeah. that predicted all stocks, but we would find like a certain patterns that really predicted Tesla stock movements. Okay. And and we, and you know, and then other signals that predicted Apple, but only when to get into Apple, not when to get so out. So certain of Apple. stocks will behave differently than one another. You can't yeah. just use one one no. formula for everything. Oh, that's no. interesting. And so that's that's where you know, again, like this is what a human can't do is right. is like figure okay. out like and and certain patterns might work for Carvana in kind of normal to up markets, but not in a bear market. And so you know, like how can you on the fly? Do you think there's enough data though for something like Carvana? Like, has it been trading long enough that you could trust technical signals on on how it trades? Well, I, ironically, we, we spoke about Carvana the last time I was here. And, Great um, trade. You and, killed it on and, that and, trade, and it, dude. You know, like, for whatever reason, Carvana's actually been, or it's not, unlike Clavio, it's it's like Carvana, I think, IPO'd in 16 or 17. So it's it's yeah, got, got it's a decent around. track record. Okay. And, um, you know, again, one of the fascinating things so far in version one that we found is that um, – 
I would say like the top 20% out of, out of the out of the 300 uh, tech stocks that trade around the world, I'd say there's about 60 that the, the, the models that we found so far work really, really well with. The rest, the 80% so, don't work so well. So and Carvana, what, for example, is, is one when of the- to, when to get in and out, not about what to buy. It's about when the to get in and out model. for which stocks at which moments. So we tend to focus on a certain subset of tech stocks that the models work really well for. And- you know, Carvana happens to be one that that it, that is that is kind of like this kind of weird stock. A lot of people are really bearish on it, but for whatever reason, the signals that we focus on, it seems to pick it up well. So there's a great quote from Mandel, uh, Mandelbrot, the guy that like discovered fractals and wrote about them, and he said, "The trend has vanished, killed by its discovery." And I think that markets function that way. They're 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 they behave more like bio, biology than like or they're not governed by the laws of physics. So. Somebody else had a quote, like, as soon as you figure out the, the, the market, they change the lock, or as soon as you think you have the key to the market, they change the lock. So my, I'm, where I'm going with that is, how, would you, how are you going to know when the signals stop working, and then what? You'll know from the margin calls. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be the thing where you say, oh. But don't, 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 don't you think that, that, like, that is how markets work? That you can't yeah. just figure it out, that they're always changing? Yeah, but, um, you know, and, and we've seen that ourselves already, like even since, you know, we've been kind of using the, the AI models live, you know, over the last few months, like we start, you know, June, July, a certain stock models trading really, really well. And all of a sudden, like the last three months, uh, you know, bit of a herky jerky market to, to down markets. That's that same, you know, the, the company stock that, you know, the model no longer seems to work as so well. So when the model's working well, you ride it. And when it breaks down, you get out, and but you you improve it as well, and so I think that's where you know when version two, version three, the Chat GPT moment for, for for how AI is going to impact finance is. I think the models will that you build will get better and better about kind of saying, hey, this this is you know we're coming to the end of the end of the line here in terms of being able to predict Apple, and it's time to stop focusing on that. But hey. You know, some new tech stock, Clavio has now been trading for three years. There's enough data that we have on Clavio as a public company that we actually think we're starting to trade it really well here with this model. So we're going to swap out so, Apple, you know, swap in Clavio. There's so many guys, it's almost all guys, that like are doing this um, in a very primitive way, mm -hmm. like out of their own memory. Right. They're, like there are guys like sitting right now, like no offense if this is you, but they're like <laughs> – no, but there are like guys like oh, I always uh, I always uh, buy Nvidia after the earnings. Like they they uh, when when they miss earnings, I buy it on no, the third right. day after they report. Th there's people that They're will trade this, like there's people that will trade a, a specific stock, and they think because they trade it so often, they know how it behaves. Those are usually right. the same guys that refer to the stock as right. a as a she. Be like she's right. trading heavy today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, like these, like these were probably pr the people like a hundred years ago used to feel like know. the bumps on your head and you know make oh, predictions yeah, for, about uh, phrenology. Right, 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 right. No, but there are there are dudes in their basement. Well, they're giving the alpha. They're the ones coughing up the alpha. So, Eric, how much of these models are price oscillators, whatever you're using for price inputs, versus fundamentals versus alternative data? You you can build a pretty good model on price alone. And as a former, you're a fundamental like, guy, right? As a former fundamental guy, that was sort of like shocking to me mm. uh, when we started to kind of see the results. Oh, so you learn so, you learn something new as a result of going through this. <laughs> yes, okay. I did. For no, sure. I mean that's sure. the point. But did I, you, but did I, you think technicals were bullshit growing up? Yeah, I, I, I like you know typically like I was like well you know and uh, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta know the company you gotta know like what's been happening and well, the dynamics and stuff. The and, hardcore technicians would say, "Who cares? It's not my problem." 
No, uh, they don't say whatever you know. Everybody else knows. It's yeah, in the yeah, price. Yeah. But I but I would say though that uh, um, we found that the best performing models though there's there's additional like non technical data added in you know and we use neural networks to kind of you know be able to track same, these same. these different things and so what are you using uh, for uh, <laughs> <laughs> well we, I just want to compare if you're doing the same thing <laughs> that I'm doing and and so when you when you use those additional variables suddenly like like what like uh fundamentals sometimes fundamentals okay. sometimes app store uh download information oh, okay. sometimes like google trend data that you know matters for so this Eric, particular stock so that makes stock. intuitive sense to me that something like that would work if you say like, okay, we want to buy stocks in uptrends, mm -hmm. get rid of anything that's not in an uptrend. Mm -hmm. Okay, we want to buy stocks in these three sectors because we've we've done all this testing, and according to the AI, these are the three sectors that our signals work the best on. Okay, right. great. So let's focus on these. Right now, is there a data source that other technicians aren't using, but that is fundamentally meaningful enough that there could be an upside surprise in the stock? So app store downloads or the ranking or where that strikes me as like the exact type of thing that you should be doing. And then you could say, there's a reason this works, like not just theoretically, but in practice, the reason this works is no one else would have thought of this combination. Right. Therefore, I'm not fighting against five other algo traders who are running the same algo. So that that makes like intuitive sense to me. That's my bias. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I've, in my career. I've always been kind of like a jack of all trades, sort of master of none. And and um, you know, a lot of people look down on that. Like the, you remember, like a few years ago, Mark Andreessen and you know folks from Silicon Valley were saying nobody should get a liberal arts degree. You should only study coding. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's a waste of money and all and this kind of stuff. Also, you put all your money into uh, Bitcoin. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, th I, I think that you're onto something. That the most, the most creative people leading these kinds of finance AI projects are the ones that are going to be able to. You know, I got some exposure to technicals. I got some exposure to fundamentals. I know enough to be dangerous. A little bit of classical what, literature. Let's let's do let's do let's do a little art history. You know, let's find yeah, some P right, data Peter, sources. Peter that Thiel's are like, unusual. I'll give you, I'll give you a million dollars drop out of college. Right. Okay. I'll also give you another quarter million. Go shoot your parents. Like, right. So, so it turns out that learning about something other than investing might help you in investing. I, you know, pe people sometimes ask me like, well, why haven't some of these, uh, you know, I hear about two Sigma all the time. If AI is so great, why haven't they been more successful and so forth? And, um, I, I don't know any details about, about, um, two Sigma. Cause they, but, cause, cause they're, 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 their households are breaking up. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I'm but I, I, but I think that if, um, there, there's no question. There's a lot of quant shops out there that are pure nerds, pure like software uh, programmers who don't know anything about finance involved in building these models. They're, they're kind of left to their own devices. And I think they're missing stuff. There's a lot, there are lots of blind spots that you have with that kind of an approach. And yeah. I, I think the more, the most successful approach over time is going to be, you know, you got to have a combination. You got to have technical people that obviously know what they're doing. You got to be able to communicate with them. When we started, we had some folks in Pakistan working in the middle of the night, couldn't manage them properly. You know, it was a pain in the butt. I didn't know if they were working three other jobs right. at the same time they were working for us and all this kind of stuff. So you got to, you have to so practically- to, rev to revise a, a colloquialism for what you're saying, like a quant would know statistically that a tomato is a fruit, but then like somebody that maybe learn something else would be able to come along and say, okay, but you don't put tomatoes in a fruit salad. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's like that extra layer of, 
I've been around. I know some stuff. Right. And you're missing this. And your, so your math is missing right. this really important thing. And so, yeah. And so I think you, you, you want to be thinking and, you know, all the finance industry needs to be thinking of like, okay, like what's my team going to look like in five years from now? How many programmers am I going to have? How many of my analysts am I going to have? Because I think it, the numbers are going to change the, the ratios of how many you have doing what. I mean, the, one of the point I was making before about Copilot, one, uh, one of the programmers works for me was telling me that it's, so there's, he saw a stat recently that said 40% of the code that is produced now by programmers around the world was came from Copilot. So think about like how many fewer programmers you need to employ um, if, if that's the case. And that's today on version one of Copilot. So that's What's what that going to be like in three Michael years? That's what Michael was saying. Like it, it, it's, it becomes like a supercharger right. for the talent you have. Right. It gives them the wherewithal to do a lot more. And, and when I talk to real people, like I'm talking about retail clients, people who put money with me or kind of talk to about putting money in this type of an approach. There's like one thing I've, I hear like more than anything else, which is like, I hear, heard about this AI thing. I've been with this Raymond James advisor for like the last three years. Guys kept me out of the market the whole time. He's giving me bad advice. I, I can't take it anymore. I just want to trust the computer. Yeah. You know, I just, I, you know, like they don't even know, understand under the hood, like how this stuff works or how it will work, but they, they intuitively get that a machine could probably be less emotional, less attached to certain, staying in certain trades yeah. for too long, who could, could like pull the ripcord, get out of Apple now, get out of Tesla when it's at 300 bucks. I 90% agree with that in a bear market. If the machine keeps them invested, mm -hmm. even if it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to live with um, just letting this computer make my decisions for me. Like that that's where it works against you. But 90% of the time, I agree with you. Like people have seen enough of human nature that they right. are as comfortable trusting yeah. a machine. Yeah. We still make lots of mistakes and we will we'll make lots of mistakes. But right. I just keep focusing ahead on like three, five years from now. Like, um, you know, we're going to have that chat GPT moment. I mean, I think in the financial advisor that, world. What do you mean by that? For, for, I think I think on like on Wall Street, you mean uh, uh, the Chat GPT moment is that you're going to hear about and it'll probably be some big firms like big hedge funds, whether it's like Point Seventy Two or Co Two, like having big breakthroughs with their AI, having a you know shoot the shoot the lights out type of year, like triple digit returns, and they credit their AI models that they've been working on. You're going to hear about smaller shops, hopefully EMJ, that you know had you know focused returns and you know good returns in the in tech space or whatever. Um, I think in the financial advisor world, there's going to be you know it's going to change that. You just you're not going to be able to just kind of. Um, be friends with your your advisors. You, you, I think people are going to expect more quant model. They're going to say, "Hey, Josh, Michael, you know, what does your model say at so Red Holes Wealth went, Management?" We went. You know, about, so we you know, went. We went through that yeah. with the when the robos came along, mm -hmm. and the robos all failed. Right. They didn't fail in that the tools aren't useful. They failed to build standalone consumer facing businesses um, that could get big enough in time before Vanguard and Schwab showed up. Mm -hmm. But most of the conventional robo tools today are being used as call center technology so that Merrill Edge, for example, doesn't have to hire 100,000 new advisors right out of college. They could hire 10,000 who would do the work of 100,000. Therefore, they could scale up to billions of dollars. So I think the the tools are the tools. Uh, um, where, here's where I agree with you, though. There is going to be a story Somebody's going to come out of nowhere that no one's ever heard of, put up shoot the lights out numbers, and they're going to point to the AI. 
and they're going to say proprietary this, proprietary that. Right. But that's not a new story. I mean, that's what Bridgewater was telling people. It was their their models, their you know, their proprietary. So it'll just be like a souped up version of like a very old story, which is it's a black box. I'd explain it to you, but you wouldn't understand it. Like Morgan Stanley had algorithmic trading, you know, 25. You probably know more about this than I do. But like there have always been people pointing to their models and saying, you can't replicate my model. No, there's no question. And um, one guy invested in me. He said, you know, like we used to have this guy at Goldman. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. Like he came around and he always, his, his models worked until they didn't. Yeah. You know, and then like 2008 came along and he got blown out of the water and he was fired by Goldman. LTCM had models, you know. Sure. But the difference this is, the difference is now we, we did not have like servers and servers. Um, yeah, know, the to, arms, to, the power, to, the power. To power these yeah, yeah. things. Yeah. So uh, it, it is, a, it, it's, it's materially different now in terms of the, what's, what's available for, for those who want to like pick up the ball and, and run with it. That, that's it true, but, but, but competition is competition and everyone is using the same tools and the tools today are much more sophisticated, but the competition is- But the way you implement those tools is like, there are a million ways you can use the same tools and get things wrong. There's like tons of mistakes you can make along the way in terms of like, uh, overfitting your data, which just means that you could, like, you, you had this big pool of data that you were analyzing, but then you were sort of taking data from the future and mixing it with data from the past. I guess what I'm saying is there will be people, hopefully you're one of them, that are spectacularly successful using these tools, mm -hmm. but the average will still be the average. I, I don't disagree with that. But um, the question is, like, if there is a chat GPT moment three years from now and like, oh my God, you know, like, XYZ firm or XYZ financial advisor just figured it out that, and they're, they're doing this. Well, they didn't do it overnight. They've, it's probably been three, four years in the making. And so then you're like, we're going to come back on Monday morning, the competitors and say, okay, guys, you know, what's our, what's oh, our strategy? Like, definitely. you know, we got to hire some, some folks, uh, software, you know, anybody know any coders? Let's get some coders. There's no here. doubt like, that's going to happen. Let's just throw it. I totally agree tell, with that. Go, go off in the, the boardroom and, you know, come up with a solution. And report I, would back. Bet, I would bet in the last three years, Goldman hired more IT people than, uh, CFAs. Right. So, Eric, what does this mean for companies that you cover? Like, who are going to be the winners? I mean, obviously, NVIDIA, but what are some of the others? NVIDIA's in the driver's seat. And, you know, Still. We, we, we can talk about them, uh, you know, at some point. Like, that's one of my favorite. It's my favorite of the of the MAG7 large cap stocks. I think it's still I underappreciated. It's I think it's trading wonderfully. Look at this 30% gap or 25% gap or whatever it is. Not even getting anywhere near it. I think, you know, what's most interesting about that is that um, – you know, nobody had ever seen anything like that, like a seven billion dollar um, the guidance raise to seven, in terms of above to consensus, 11, right? Yeah, for the next quarter or so eleven they, to seventeen. It was they did it twice. Nuts. Yeah. They did it twice, and they and did it two quarters in a row. Yeah, and there's this Peter Thiel um, clip floating around Twitter uh, of the last few days that I saw, where he's talking about how you know the biggest mistake he ever made was on the Series B investment in Facebook. He was in on the Series A, but he he wished he could have done it all. And and the biggest mistake was that. The metrics for Facebook had improved so much from Series A to Series B, but the valuation did not. It, it like it increased obviously, but it didn't increase as much as it should have, given what the metrics were, and therefore like what that meant about the the, the value of the company. And so his big big mistake in hindsight was not recognizing that and going all in. And he said, you know, most people tend to you know underestimate when there are these big kind of shifts, you know, like just how big it is and what it means to. The, and I think that's happening to Nvidia. I think like that. May raise of consensus is, you know, people are now they they. they 
they uh, it raised the whole market for a couple of months. The stock is cheaper now than it was in January, yeah. despite being up 200 something percent. That's wild. But you still hear people going on saying, well, it's expensive well, or some, it's overplayed. Somebody, the somebody, price is up a lot. Somebody yeah, it's, it's, said that like there's got to be like $200 billion worth of demand or something crazy uh, yeah. for NVIDIA. Like who are all the buyers of all these chips? Well- you know, this this is the big thing is that, you know, you, I heard you talking the other day about this, Josh, about the two, there's two differences or two phases of like building AI apps and then deploying them. There's the, the training phase, yeah. which is basically you messing around in a sandbox saying, hey, maybe these technical indicators well, work. Well, NVIDIA owns, maybe this, that, owns that market. Right. And then there's the rollout phase, or the inference phase. And, and that's when you actually, so phase one is like, Eric likes cats. This is this is what a cat is. Phase two is on reels. Like, okay, we're gonna give Eric like all the cats, you know, videos he's he's ever wanted, and not give him the same ones, and you know, so he he stays on the platform longer. So I think what people are missing now with Nvidia and why I think it's super underpriced relative to where it's going over the next few years is that um, they're 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 not demand constrained, right? You know, everybody is, but but we're still at this like messing around. The seven billion raise is a bunch of their customers messing around in the sandbox. And so what happens when they go to rolling this thing out, like full big time with the AI apps that actually work? They will need more chips. And I've heard some people say, it depends on the application. It, you know, in some cases, once you go to rollout phase two, you need 10X the number of H100 NVIDIA chips that you needed in, in phase two. So, right, phase. so the, inferencing, the inferencing chip demand, first of all, you need CPUs for that too. It's gonna benefit the whole sector. Oh yeah. Um, the thing about AMD, so I, I recently bought some AMD, not enough because it went up. If it went down, I would say I, I own too much. Um, but AMD has not been asleep. They've been quieter because they're not as advanced, but they they are thinking about the inferencing market as being their advantage, and they're architecting deliberately for exactly what you're describing. And we won't know if it, if it was successful for a couple of years, um, but they're launching their their chip the MI300, which is meant to compete head-to-head -head with the H100 mm -hmm. uh, the first week of December. you have uh, thoughts or feelings on the AMD opportunity? I, I still think that inertia is going to dictate that whoever you start in buying chips from in phase one is who you're going to use in phase two. What if I and tell you uh, Jensen Wang and Lisa Sue are third cousins? I swear to God, true? that's true. Is that true? I didn't yeah. know that. They're from the same area of uh, Taiwan. Oh, that doesn't related. surprise does that change? Does that change how you feel at all? Or uh, I think AMD is going to, I mean, everyone's, this is going to be a rising <laughs> yeah. tide. People are going to make money. I mean, okay. uh, AWS, if, if I'm right, and NVIDIA, you know, NVIDIA's opportunity is actually 3, 4x what it currently is. And these, you know, $7 billion all raise, right. it's just they, the beginning. They say like, the, it's going to raise the tide for AWS. They say that TAM Azure. is $150 billion five years from now. Mm -hmm. So if AMD gets 10% of that, that's pretty good. Sure. Relative to where the stock, if they get 20, it's a grand slam. Yeah. But now you got to wait five years to find out. But. I would just say, you know, like in any market, it's usually the the, the winner that like, you know, accrues the, the, the best returns. And so okay. if I'm going to own somebody, like I'd rather like just put my chips behind uh, NVIDIA rather than AMD. You know, the, the other amazing thing about that uh, NVIDIA is like in a good year, a couple of years ago, they were doing like a billion in free cash flow. But now like the world has changed since the $7 billion, you know, consensus raise above consensus. And so uh, in the next few quarters, 
they could do $4 billion in free cash flow in a quarter. $7 billion is not out of the realm of possibility next year. That's massive money <laughs> that they're going to have to spend on This is a chart of their free cash chips. flow. Yeah. I mean. Like, their debt's going away with it, that. It's unbelievable. They're, what they're, if the demand doesn't materialize as quickly? So, in other words, what if we're super bullish on AI and the demand for uh, NVIDIA's products, but we have the timing off? And there's a there's a quarter somewhere in the middle that lets people down. I mean, you would agree this is probably the biggest risk to NVIDIA right now. Yeah. And and I, I think also the biggest risk is the fact that they just can't make enough chips. And so like they 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 need no, no, to no, stipulated, but we all agree on that. Yeah. Like we all understand there are supp literal supply constraints. Yeah. So if let's But what if there's okay, so so hear me out. During the pandemic, there was double ordering for everything. Right. Like Peloton found out the hard way. Right. All right. So everybody was double ordering. The thinking was, well, we better double order because we don't know if we're getting any and when the next shipment is coming. And then supply chains kind of eased mm -hmm. and a lot of these orders were canceled. And that's how you got all of these negative surprises. I'm not saying that's going to happen with NVIDIA. I'm just saying it could. What if there's a lot of double ordering of GPUs right now because Microsoft and Amazon and everyone else is terrified that they're not going to be able to get what they need. And then they do get what they need and we get order cancellations, and then all of a sudden, NVIDIA gets shocked. And it's not bearish on AI, it's just, oh, this wasn't the real amount of demand that we thought it was. Right. Like, for me, that's the thing I would worry about. That might never happen, or it might happen this quarter. And I just don't think anyone could know, including yeah. NVIDIA, when they give guidance. I don't think they could know. So Yeah, think? I, I think that they're, I would say, yes, the risk is, these anybody who's playing in the sandbox now, building you know using their chips to kind of build these apps. What if that process takes longer than expected, or what if not enough new uh, yeah. enterprises show up to start messing around the playbook? Yeah, you know playground sandbox as well. It's, exp it's an expensive sandbox, Eric. It's not free. Yeah, if they messing around the compute, the cost of compute is a real cost. They're going to fall twenty five percent if they if they miss a quarter. They are, but I, I in a day, the, but the first in a day, day. in a yeah. day, yeah. But there, the fact that we just had this like such a outsized return in May for this like raise of, of what they what they what they have, and they're not going to do that every quarter, obviously. I think that just shows like we're, we're you know how many you know, we're still very early days in terms of like real companies getting in here. And I feel like and, generally speaking, when you think about the fact that we are early days, but the stock is up. 100, 200%, whatever it is. I think the early days argument usually wins. Like when something is so hot, it doesn't just die immediately. Right. Let's do some tickers. You're buying uh, another AI darling, Groupon. <laughs> what uh, the hell? The co-founder blocked you on Twitter, which is cool. <laughs> Uh, aren't you too old to be getting blocked on Twitter by people? <laughs> he was the first guy who ever, oh, I know of, who ever blocked me on Twitter. This, he's no longer with the company, Andrew Mason. Remember, he was like the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed co-founder when they IPO'd in 2011. I, think I haven't heard this name I, in a long I time. I haven't heard yeah. this guy's name in a million years. <laughs> but what, what, uh, what, why do you like the stock, and why did you say that shit about his wife? <laughs> well, the, it, there's this stock is, I, I, I found it with AI. I, you know, obviously there's no AI t 
tool. Oh, that, okay. That, that, but I, I, I actually, to be honest, if you'd asked me, you know, earlier this year, I would have said, like, is it, is it even still a public company? Yeah, I was going to say, what AI did you use? Chat POS? <laughs> How did you find? <laughs> How did you find Groupon? All right, say say more. I'm sorry. So, so, uh, but when I when it's I, a blue chip. Yeah, I just turned super bearish on AI. So when 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 they when when this this stock like. You know, my AI is shorting your AI right now. <laughs> this stock is still around. It's still a coupons company, basically, and it's uh, you know AI, back at AI coupons. Back back in May, it was like a hundred million dollar market cap company. So it was it was around as a public company, but it was you know basically had been forgotten about, sort of circling the drain. And um, but what I thought was interesting, though, it's kind of an activist play because basically um, what happened is. The guys who run it now it used to be run out of Chicago, and the the other co-founder is this guy Eric Lef Lefkowski. He's never, he's no longer involved in the company, but the management team was still in Chicago. And I start reading up on it, and what happened is that there was some guy in the Czech Republic who had built a bunch of web companies over there that he'd never heard of, and sold them and made some money and okay. knew how to make money from web companies. So he decided that you know seeing Groupon trade where it is, like this thing is a is, a, is an opportunity waiting to happen. If they but they you know were wasting money, they're losing money constantly. So he basically buys up twenty percent of the stock himself and and some of his friends from from these past with a hundred million dollar market cap. Yeah, he threw twenty million in. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then he goes to the group on board and he's, and like an activist, he says, what are you guys doing? You know, like you should be doing this. You should be cutting costs. You should cut all this headcount in Chicago where it's expensive to have all these people doing these things. And, you know, you should be focusing on international more, much more than you do. They were like 90% still U.S. focused in terms of their revenues. And there's a big world out there. Uh, and this thing, Groupon, you know, it's kind of like Yahoo where, you know, Unlike all these DTC companies you see advertising on CNBC these days, we're trying to like come up with these crazy terms and stuff. Everybody knows Groupon. Everybody knows Yahoo. And therefore, there's like a bunch of inertia traffic that kind of keeps going to these sites, you know, constantly, even if they're doing a terrible job. So he presents his turnaround plan and the board basically says, here are the keys to the car, guys. Go, you, you run it yourselves, you know, mm -hmm. as a management team out of the Czech Republic. And so they've only been overseeing like one public quarter as a public company, but they've, 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 they were adjusted EBITDA profitable for like the first time in years. And uh, the thing is, if you start, to see, you look at this kind of slim down, smaller company and say, okay, what's a reasonable enterprise value to EBITDA multiple for a web company? You know, like, like that's not growing like crazy, but it's just, you know, it's, it's churning out like eBay style what is kind is of that, profit. Is that 10? I'm making it up. Uh, 10X? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 20X is, you know, is not unusual for what you see. Enterprise value to EBITDA. And so if you look at what, you know, what, what's a normalized kind of EBITDA level, for, they're doing like 130 million revenue a quarter. They should be doing like 15, 20%, you know, in profits every quarter. My math that's says a, this should a be hundred dollar stock you know, in, in, in a year a, or two. Where is it versus now? versus like twelve bucks or you know probably is up today. I say it's a good business. I don't know if it's a good public business. It's it's just a forgotten about business yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just been ignored. And and thirty I don't know it depends on who you look at. Thirty eight percent of the float is short. And so everyone's gotten in, you know, in the kind of fat and lazy habit of like shorting this thing, thinking it's going out of business. And, so how how does this appear on your on your screen? So it, it's one of these names that pops uh, out of the 300 that pops up back in May. It says that hey, something just happened, and you know we're detecting some. You know, it was a it start, stock started moving up again Commence at three three alpha bucks. Extraction, <laughs> and uh, it says you might want to take a look at this. And that this is when I find out about the Czech Republic and all this stuff that's going on at this company. This is kind of interesting. Anything else? Uh 
outside of the usual suspects that's popping up that's interesting? To, there's a company called Tabula. That I is, know what this is. This that, is the is shady, that, the shitty that, ads. Is that hummus? It was a... It was yes, a, that's yes, right. That's yes. right, Michael. A delicious. Uh, Israeli company that basically does kind of the outsourced ads on the rest of the open web besides Google right. and Tabula Facebook. Tabula is, you know when you're reading a Business Insider article and you spent way too much time and you get really <laughs> far down the page? Yeah. Once you get pe- down further than the comments and even down further past than... the comments. Past the comments... There'll be this block with four ads yes. in one. Yeah, yeah. And one of them will have cleavage. Yeah. And uh, am I lying? No. Okay. One no. of them will have like just tremendous anatomy. The second one will have something really gory. The third one will like just be like a animated question mark. Each of those units is a tabula ad unit. And they are proud of those units. Proud of those units. No, but that's they it's backfill to backfill, right? Like this the affiliate ad network, and then there's Tabula, right. which is like, eh, throw a little Tabula on there. We'll see what happens, <laughs> right? Yeah, but th- I mean they they also you know place like uh, normal ads. And so the thing that's interesting about them is that they signed a deal with Yahoo in um, January of this year, basically to kind of take over placing ads. That's weird because the ads on Yahoo are also reputable. Say more. (laughs) So, um, you know, I've followed Yahoo, as you know, for like years and years and always been interested in them and as activist play. They're private still. You know, they they, they were sold by Verizon. Who owns it? Apollo Uh, owns it or something? Apollo bought it. And so Apollo put this guy, uh, who I know Jim Lanzone, in charge of it. And Jim is is a kind of a seasoned uh, web executive who uh, he got to start running Ask Jeeves. Remember that? The the search engine. So he brought in Taboola. Onto Yahoo so he signs pages. his deal with Taboola. He's doing a bunch of other things. You know, we'll find out when they IPO one day. But they, apparently, they're just they're they're doing really really well. Uh, they'll probably come out with like some kind of normalized valuation and then go up from there. But to you know, investing in Taboola is oh, kind ya- of a- Yahoo is going to IPO. Uh, well, they they will for sure, and at some point because Apollo's. Can we get Marissa to- Meyer back? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think she'll, she'll be forget. ringing the bell. Okay, downtown. She's not ringing the bell. Okay. Right. Oh shit! But uh, Tabula did this deal with Yahoo, and so Yahoo took a piece of Tabula into equity, and um, so they signed this deal, and it, it's it can be massive, but the thing is, it didn't get implemented. Like they didn't, you know, in January when you sign the deal, you don't start seeing the results in the financials. It's a three dollar so, stock. So it's a three dollar stock. Okay. But uh, the you know basically everything got turned on last month in October. So we're going to start with the next earnings report from them to actually see. Eric, why the financial is it Tabula Limited? Is it European or British? Israel? Israel. Israel. Yeah. So okay. let me so ask you guys this: be, yeah. did, did fintech just bottom? So a firm was up twenty percent today. PayPal were, PayPal is up seven uh, percent today. Square just raised guidance; they're up sixteen percent in the after hours. What do we think? You like any of these? What names? do we think? I think they're. I think it's interesting. They got clobbered on the way down. I mean, just just a few days ago, like at the beginning of this week, Square was within a buck of its like March twenty twenty lows. So they, they'd but been there's hammered. Nobody, there's nobody left to sell these stocks, N- though, right? It's not going to take much for them to get going. Like I said, it's up sixteen percent in the after hours. Yeah. They bought Afterpay, remember them, a couple of years ago? Buy so now, think, pay, pay later yeah. for $29 billion, and now they're- Their market cap <laughs> is smaller than what they paid for that. Right. Unbelievable. Exactly. So uh, have they bought them? Yeah, I think so. And I think there you know, there will be some winners in there for sure. And I think a, a firm is interesting. Um, they just so. announced a deal with Amazon today. Mm-hmm. Small businesses are going to be able to buy now, pay later. People might scoff at that. I love it. Can we, can we do this uh, before we wrap up? Did you see any of this stuff with Zillow and Redfin? See it. I own the stock. Okay. Um, 
These stocks all got hammered on a court decision. Did you see any of this? Yeah. What, what exactly happened? Do you know? I don't know all the details of the court ruling. Um, they were, um, you know, basically they had this liability that uh, the realtors were all price fixing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so this happened in the Midwest. This happened in Kansas, in a Kansas courtroom. I just, we don't have to have a long discussion about it. It seems like this is a big deal only because I don't know enough to, you know. Uh, there was a jury. They had two weeks of testimony from plaintiffs. The defendants were the National Association of Realtors, NAR, and a lot of the big real estate franchises. And they were basically uh, accusing them of price fixing with the commission because home prices have gone up so much that that 6% or whatever is really noticeable. It's like a big chunk of, of money. And the plaintiffs won. So it says the uh, they were ordered to pay $1.78 billion in damages to the sellers of more than 260,000 homes in Missouri, Kansas, and Illinois. So if you sold a home in those three states in the last few years, I guess, you are owed money by these realtors who were colluding and keeping commission rates high, which I'm sure will be appealed. Right. Uh, but they immediately whacked Redfin Zillow, um, which I guess are highly reliant on commissions and um, realtors uh, advertising there. So yeah. I don't know. I don't own it. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether – you know, wh wh where do these stocks trade in five days from now? Because, like, was it really that specific court decision that drove them down? They're or already was it going. They're already going down. You know, it's too lot of stock. Open door, two bucks. They're reporting tonight. I'll do that. Yeah. Open door reports tonight. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, not they, a great they, got, they got they got whacked in the same NAR ruling as well, uh, which kind of makes less sense than Zillow because That's weird. like they they're basically they're, they're they're trying to. They're buying disintermediate and the, the, the realtors. Yeah. And so uh, they're, they're buying and selling the homes themselves. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I think that eventually this stock is going to be a winner. Um, it's, it's basically traded and Zillow to some extent and Redfin have sort of traded with uh, housing in general and kind of the home builders. What's know. one, what's one stock that you gave up on this year? What's something that just, you decided it's not going to work? Uh, open door, definitely, you know, okay. I, I kind of like let go of the rope and I would I'd say in the spring of this year, okay. <laughs> there was, there, there were too many dis disappointments with, with it. Um, there've been other stocks like that, you know, zoom was one that I talked about. There's, I just bought zoom back. There's, there's You're a, dead. There's, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stocks like zoom. I'm so bullish on zoom where, you know, people, people just have stopped caring. Hang on, I can't I let know, that go. but I like that. That is good. You're right. How are you? Why that, are you? That so is the sign of a bottom. Because Zoom has gradually transformed itself into an enterprise software company for businesses, and the video they're using video tools as just the advertisement to get you in the door. Uh, we fired Ring Central and adopted Zoom phones. Zoom eventually will probably take over Slack from us. Like they are building all of these like really critical enterprise tools for businesses and nobody's nobody gives a shit nobody like the stock and what's the stock is correct. the stock still stock like 69 or nobody something cares. Look, look it's in the 60s just, but yeah which is where it was in 2019 it kind of stopped the, going down the stock could go to 120 dollars and still be cheap you know it's yeah. 16 times earnings right nobody cares yeah because they still think it's a they still think it's a, a fucking work from home stock well, they, well, don't, yeah, they don't believe the earnings think of think of how much bigger it is today versus when the ipo in 2019 they have it's a $16 billion market cap or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
they're selling software to businesses. It's not work from home at all, but they still have this video that acts as like the front end. It's how most people know the name Zoom. Yeah. Um, but that's not really going to be how they make most of their money. That'll be like one tool of 10 that they, it, I mean, they're trying to be, they're trying to be, I don't want to say Salesforce. That would be the wrong comp. Uh, but they're, they're, tr they're trying and succeeding mm. to get enterprise Are customers. They, their revenue is not growing like at all. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, but it's not, that's my concern is at like, all. It's where is the growth story, grow, Josh? It's never going to grow the way so it what grew are you in buying? 2020. But it's not, it's not growing it's, at all. It's but got, I'm not paying for it. But to get it to go, go to 120, there's got to be a bit of growth. Like you got to have the phones thing play well, out. Well, hey, Josh is right. If they, if they give any good news, if they raise guidance, it'll be up 20%. Yeah. No, yeah. And there are a lot of stocks like Zoom these days. And hopefully like <laughs> two and a half years into this frigging bear market for like, non-max seven I think my stocks. risk in Zoom is that they don't find growth and the stock just languishes. But it's not 50 times – like you're not – it's not a company losing money. They're, it's a profitable company with cash flows. And I don't think like a mid to high teens uh, PE ratio is a huge risk. I think they have the chance to figure it out. And if they do, you won't be able to buy it. So look, a lot of these tech transformations don't work. Like yeah. BlackRock, uh, BlackRock, BlackBerry did not work. No. They tried to be a cybersecurity company, and it's, no. it's, it didn't work. Um, all right, did you have fun on the show today? I did. You did? All right, we could do another. I could do another. I, I don't know about Zoom. I think I'm going to stick with my Groupon. All right, we'll come back next. We'll come back next. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come back we'll next. We'll do a week. compare and contrast. We'll Groupon, compare Groupon, Groupon with Zoom. Zoom. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, we're going to end the show with favorites. Eric, what are you into these days? What are you watching? What I thought the most to? interesting thing in the last week was Stan Druckenmiller. Um, he, you know, there was like a leaked video of him talking to Paul Tudor Jones at Robin Hood. That was interesting where he sort of took, took shots at Yellen. Then uh, he did a CNBC interview the other day in the morning. Uh, of yeah, all the, Druck, of, Druck is hot right of now. Of all the old guys who go on TV and get treated like gods. That's your guy? Uh, you know, I think like he's, uh, he's, he's the conscience of the, of the like, you know, sometimes I get a little carried away with myself. I get a little bullish. I get a little Tom Lee-ish. Uh, and, we, you know, when you hear Stan kind of chiding the market, like, I think you got to, you got to, he, he always chides the market. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he ain't coming on to tell you 72 and sunny today. He's no. not, he's not coming on like, uh, he's not coming on to tell you that things are fine. No. Uh, and he might, you know. But he's interesting. He's interesting. As a, he's, versus a lot of these guys. He's earned, he's earned the attention and the respect of, of the street. For sure. Yeah. And not that many guys out there like that. So it doesn't mean he's right all the time, but it's no. I agree with you. Uh, what about you? You got a favorite for me? You know, I don't. Really? I was Nothing? Dry, dry this week. How was Halloween this week? It's good. Yeah? How'd you do, candy-wise? <laughs> clean up? It's good. Yeah? Got some Butterfingers. I like Butterfingers. Is that your go-to? Uh, no, I'm a simple man. I like Snickers and Reese's. I went to Dave's house that night after Halloween. They were yeah. sorting candy. on. He's They got yeah. three kids. Yeah. They were sorting pounds of candy on the floor. Yeah, I said you, you should sort it all right into the garbage can. Yeah, nobody. You know, you know what we tried this year at my house was only buying the big candy bars. That's a baller move. And what uh, do you mean? Like, like, like regular you know, size? you know, when you were a kid and you'd, you'd go trick or treating and you would there'd be that one house the that hero was like house. giving giving like the huge heroes baby roots and whatever oh. and like so we decided like this year we're, we're going to try that we're going to only buy these bars and, like, and were kids high fiving you. The, you couldn't believe the reality. You, know who does that? you could not believe their faces. Dude, you know who does that in America? Bleep this out, Duncan. He's a hero uh, for doing I believe that. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's his business. He's the candy man. And the, the, the other amazing thing is that, you know, we had, 
the biggest thing that we handed out was a pack of Twizzlers. Okay. That was like, I don't know, 10 or 12 in it. In yeah. It was the biggest, you know, it's bigger the movie than the candy. Theater, like the movie theater size? Like the, no, not that, sorry, right. in between. You know what's interesting? How but that's what kids wanted. They wanted the biggest. They didn't care that it was Twizzlers. You know what I want? Peanut butter Twix. That never makes its way into candy bags. You know what I gave out? Solana. I did. <laughs> I did. I gave everyone a thumb, a thumb drive. Uh, we didn't give out anything because we weren't home. We're no fun. We're, I guess we're like well, the I, no fun people. No, I, I left. Uh, you, le you leave a bucket of candy, and it's kind of. Yeah, we did. Minutes. We did that, but I don't even think we put anything good in there. So. Oh, so actually, I have been slowing. I haven't. I've lost momentum on House of Usher. Not it's, really because I don't like the show. It got confusing. Right? I'm on. No, I'm on episode four. I just. I've just been busy. I think. I don't know. Okay. Did you finish it? No, I didn't finish it yet. I think I'm on four or five. Yeah. But how many episodes are there? Did Do you, you watch this? The Fall of the House yeah. of Usher. No. Uh, Where'd you guys talk about it? It's entertaining. It's I think it's worth it's I think it's worth checking out. Uh, I want to help some people out, save some time on podcasts uh, as my favorite. So I'll tell you what to listen to, what not to. Charlie Munger ah, on the Acquired podcast. Great call. Just listen to it. It's That's an great. hour. Yeah. Every interview he he's on the clock. He turns a hundred next month. Every interview he gives, this could be the last one. Right. And he's still awesome. Right. So I highly recommend Charlie Munger on Acquired. You could skip Elon uh, Musk on Joe Rogan. It's it's like pretty unless you're like a super fan. It's kind of painful. There's nothing of substance in it really, and it's like at a certain point, it's like Rogan's like so so. Uh, hey man, what's your favorite color? <laughs> like at, like at a certain point, it's like why is this even if you're listening at two x speed, like yeah, why no, is interesting what about the way Elon talks? He's like thoughtful in his delivery. He doesn't just speak. He like takes a beat or two. Yeah, I don't know from that. From Long Island. Same. We just talk. Yeah. We just go. We just talk and then immediately regret it. I don't know with all who people have time for thoughtfulness. It's, very, it's kind of impressive. Uh, there was one other that I listened to. What was it? Uh, maybe another acquired Jensen Wang. Mm. Did you listen to that? No. Oh shit! This is, this is right up your alley. So you know who those guys are? No. no. The acquired podcast. They do like the greatest growth companies ever. And they, there's two guys, they'll each read 10 different books and they'll have a conversation about what they learned. So they've done like LVMH famously. That's like one of the big, anyway, they did two episodes on NVIDIA and then they did a third, they got Jensen on and Jensen gave them two hours. And it's, I, this is like right up your alley. Uh, yeah. So on the, on the flight back to Canada, this is what you want to do. <laughs> Wait, one last thing. So just talking about like stocks that are beaten up that nobody cares about. So Paramount, obviously it's just only in the after hours. Nobody owns Paramount. The stock's up 11%. I don't know what they said, but a lot of these beaten down names, like it doesn't take much to get, there's get no, them going. Right, at a certain point, there's, no more sellers. there's nobody left to sell. Right. Do we have an Apple print? Um, Apple is- Should just come out. Apple is down less than a percent. All right, rally's over. <laughs> Shut it down. All right. Eric Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you so much. We had the best time with you as Thank always. You guys. Uh, I want to tell people where they can Always learn fun. more about uh, the fund is EMJ. Is that Eric Mahomes Jackson? <laughs> Mitchell. Mitchell. All right. Uh, where can they learn more about you and your fund and all the stuff that you're writing and working on? Give us some uh, Give us some places to go. Uh, at, at Eric Jackson on Twitter, uh, okay. emjcapital.ltd on the web. Um, okay. You can find me on TikTok, taking Instagram. New taking new clients these days or where, where are we at? Always talking. Always, Always talking. talking to folks. I like that answer. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, guys. Hey, great job this week, John. Duncan, Sean, Nicole, Rob, thanks to the whole gang. You guys did a great job. That's right, 116 in the books. Thanks to everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Take us out. Bye.
Seinfeld podcast. Like, want to hear that to your ears? No, 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 no. No, no one's favorite was the final Beatles song ever. Oh, I, I, I just heard. It's not like, I just heard about that.